Well, we are thin in number tonight, but thank you for being here. Thank you for coming. Appreciate so much you being here. I know that there are a lot of folks that are traveling. Some are with family, and so the fact that you made the decision to come tonight, I want you to know how much we appreciate it. Your presence is certainly valuable to us. We hope and pray that our worship tonight will be uplifting, encouraging to you. We are looking at Acts chapter 8, the passage that Kevin read a moment ago, Acts the 8th chapter. And tonight concludes our year-long study of Bible characters. Last week in our study, we looked at Philip the Evangelist and talked about the great work that Philip did, not only publicly, but privately as well. And so in Acts the 8th chapter, we have an account of one of the converts to the preaching of Philip the Evangelist, a man by the name of Simon. And Simon was by trade a sorcerer. And so we want to talk a little bit about this fella and what the Bible has to say about his conversion and what he saw, what he said, what he did. And so we're going to look at what the text has to say, unfold that, and make some application in just a moment or two. So I invite you to the 8th chapter of the book of Acts. And let's go back just by way of reminder. You remember in the 8th chapter, Luke tells us that persecution was rampant in the city of Jerusalem, and the disciples were scattered abroad with the exception of the apostles. And those who were scattered abroad were said to have gone everywhere preaching the word. Now look at verse 5. The text says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now you remember back in Acts chapter 1, prior to the ascension of Jesus, he told the apostles that they would receive power from on high. And they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and then on to Samaria. So now we have the account of the gospel moving beyond Jerusalem and Judea. It is now traveled to Samaria. And Philip preaches the gospel. He preaches Christ to these people. And the text tells us in verse 6 that multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. I think the joy, no doubt, reflected in the fact that there were many that were liberated, not just physically, but also spiritually speaking. And then note, if you would, what is said about a fellow by the name of Simon. First thing that I want to call your attention to as we look at our text has to do with his character. So here's what Luke has to say. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. Now there are really three things that I would say that stand out about Simon. Number one, he was what I would call a trickster. He practiced the trade of trickery, black magic, sorcery. Matter of fact, the word sorcerer or sorcery, the basis for our word magic comes from that term. And so this guy mastered in the art of what we would call illusion. And so he was a trickster. But then, not just that, but he was also a great talker. 
Here's what the text says. He astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. You know, sometimes people have, I guess, a greater estimation of themselves than probably is uh, really true. I would suppose that Simon thought he was really something. But then note, if you would, what the text has to say about the testimony given about him. In verse 11, the Bible says, They heeded him because he had astonished them with sorceries for a long time. But verse 10 says, They all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. He dazzled them, didn't he? You know, there are people today that really they're what I would call modern-day charlatans. And they practice deceit or trickery. And they're in it for one reason, and that is for monetary gain. Peter talks about people like that in 2 Peter chapter 3. Matter of fact, in chapter 3 or chapter 2 of 2 Peter, Peter said that through covetousness with deceptive words, they will exploit you. Such was the case with Simon. But now note, if you would, not just his character, but the text tells us that he was converted. So here's what the Bible says, verse 12. When they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. But look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. So let me just pause here for a moment or two. The Bible tells us that Philip the evangelist preached Christ. Now, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The Samaritan people, by and large, they bought in to the gospel that was being presented to them. When we talk about the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that would also encompass the authority of Christ and the kingdom of God, the church of Christ. Philip presented these subjects to those who were living in Samaria. Samaria, Samaria of course, had many, many people that were acquainted with Old Testament Scripture. And I would imagine that Philip the Evangelist had the opportunity to talk about the kingdom, the church, the prophets of old had foretold of. He had the opportunity to share with them the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. They came to a belief in the Christ. Now, genuine faith prompts one to an obedient heart, right? The Samaritan people, they believed. They were baptized into Christ. Matter of fact, Luke says both men and women but then Simon also believed the basis of his faith, that which he had heard. But he didn't merely believe, but rather he obeyed the gospel of Christ. He was baptized. So let me ask this question. Why do you think Simon and those who were living in Samaria were baptized into Christ? I mean, why be baptized? You know, there are a lot of people in the world today, they would nullify the importance of being baptized into Christ. They would say that it's not essential to one's salvation. Matter of fact, I heard a, heard a fellow this week on the radio this past week, and he was talking about coming to Christ. 
And he said that in order to become a Christian, all you have to do is accept the Lord Jesus into your heart, recite a prayer, and then he said, you become a child of God. And then he encouraged his listeners to go and find a good church, he said, and be baptized. Well, that's not the right order, is it? No, the Bible teaches that we believe in Christ, we're baptized into Christ, and then God puts us in the church of Christ. So what's so significant about Simon's baptism? Well, number one, he was baptized to be saved, Mark 16, 16. He was baptized so that he might enjoy the forgiveness of his sins, Acts 2, verse 38. He was baptized so that he might have his sins washed away, Acts twenty-two sixteen. 16. He was baptized so that he might become a member of the church you read about in Scripture. That's Acts 2, verse 47. Now listen, he did exactly what they did on Pentecost Day, just as the Samaritans as a whole had done. And if we want to become members of the body of Christ, New Testament Christians, we do what they did. In so doing, we become what they were. Well, what is that? a disciple, a Christian, a follower of God. Now think about this. When we obey the gospel of Christ, we're said to enjoy justification, aren't we? We've been, as Paul would say, justified by faith. We have peace with God. Paul would say not only that, but we've, we have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, set apart from the world unto Almighty God. We're no longer a part of the world we're no longer a part of that world order dominated by the devil, but rather we've been delivered out of the power of darkness, translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. So we are sanctified in Christ Jesus, and then Paul would say we're called saints. Simon did everything that those people in Samaria did. And as a result of that, he enjoyed every spiritual blessing that those other people did in the first century. Now, I think that's very important. And I'm going to share with you the reason for that in just a moment or two. So now let's think for a moment about, we talk about his conversion. But note now his corruption. Look at verse 14. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Now, some would ask, why then would they why would the apostles make their way to the city of Samaria? Well, the Bible tells us. Look at verse 15. Who, when they had come down, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet He had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, the reason the apostles laid hands on the Samaritans was to confer spiritual gifts. As we've said before, they did not have a New Testament as we do today. And so the gospel was in man. Today, the gospel is in written form. We have all things pertaining to life and godliness. So the apostles laid hands on those in Samaria. Thereby, they received spiritual gifts. So, look at verse 18. Two things here. Number one, I want you to think about what Simon saw, and then secondly, what he said. The text says, 
When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now look, Simon, prior to his obedience to the gospel, was a well-known trickster. We would say a fraud. He practiced black magic. I have no doubt he was convicted in his heart of hearts about the teaching and preaching of Christ. He came to believe that Jesus was the Son of God, and based upon that evidence, he responded to the gospel of Christ. But you've got to remember his background. I mean, this guy is well known by the people. They think that he's something very special. So he sees the apostles conferring these spiritual gifts. And based upon what he sees, his thinking is this. I want what they have. Now look, as one writer said, if he was willing to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit, no doubt he'd be willing to sell it. So again, he's a charlatan, isn't he? You know, old habits die hard, don't they? Now, what some people would say is that Simon was never a Christian to begin with. We're talking about the corruption of this man. What you have to understand is, just because we become members of the body of Christ does not mean that we're going to walk in harmony with the teaching of Almighty God. We have choices to make, don't we? Simon was dazzled by what he saw. So his goal was to obtain what the apostles were giving freely. He wanted it because he thought it was something special, and it was, but not for the purpose he intended. So with that in mind, note if you would now the censor. Look at verse 20. In verse 20, Peter says to him, Your money perish with you. Because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. That's a strong statement, isn't it? Now we talk about being reproved or rebuked. To be convicted. The Apostle Peter is convicting Simon of wrongdoing here. And so he says, your money perished with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. Now look at verse 21. He said, you have neither part nor portion in this matter. And then here it is. For your heart is not right in the sight of God. Here's a man that started off on the path of the straight and narrow, as we would say, and then aborts that right path. Gets caught up in what he sees the apostles conferring on people in Samaria. And so rather than wanting spiritual gifts for the right reasons, he wants to use it to, no doubt, his financial well-being, his benefit. And Peter said, look, you need to understand something. Your heart is not right in the sight 
of Almighty God. One of the things that really stands out about the life of Peter and the apostles, they had a lot of backbone, didn't they? There are some people, matter of fact, I read about a fellow the other day, a man that spent the better part of his life in education and preaching. One of the things that was said about him was that he did not like conflict of any kind. I can understand that. I don't know of anybody, well, I would imagine there are some people that enjoy a good fight. But for the most part, most of us, we don't like conflict. But there are times when we have to stand our ground, don't we? And there are occasions in life when we have to stand face to face, toe to toe with people, and be very honest and candid about their spiritual condition. And Peter, in this context, tells Simon, Look, your heart's not right in the sight of God. There are people today, they may not know it, but they need to understand where they stand, spiritually speaking. That's true of many who are outside the body of Christ. And listen, that's true of people who are in the body of Christ. There are some people... Their name is on the roll. That doesn't mean they're faithful children of God. That doesn't mean that their name is still written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, what happened? Same thing happened to Simon. They left the faith. They walked away from the truth of Almighty God. There are, matter of fact, I would say this. If we could restore every unfaithful member of the body of Christ in the Mid-South area, we could probably fill up just about every church building. Now you'd let that sink in for a minute. It is amazing the number of people in churches of Christ that have left the faith. Some aren't going anywhere. Sadly, some have left the church for denominationalism. And why? Let me tell you what I think has happened. I think in a lot of places our preaching and teaching has been so non-distinctive that in the body of Christ we have come to view denominational bodies as our allies. Now, that's not to say that we have anything against them personally. It's not about the person. It's about the doctrine. So when people step outside the boundaries of the doctrine of Jesus Christ, what happens? Their fellowship with God is severed. John said, whoever goes onward abides not in the doctrine of Christ. That's the teaching of Christ and the teaching about Christ. But if we do not abide in the doctrine of Christ, John said, we have not God. Now the Bible says if we walk in the light, as He's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. But for people to leave the blood-bought body of Jesus Christ and become affiliated with a denominational body that has been originated in the hearts and minds of people, that is, mankind, it's amazing. 
And yet there are folks that have done that. There are a lot of folks that are moving in that direction. You probably know some people like that. I had a lady the other day tell me, a lady that I have known for many years, associated with churches of Christ, And I liked to fell over. I was discussing with her some things at a funeral after the service. And she said, you know, I'm going to the Baptist church now. And I thought, what? Somebody came up. I wasn't able to finish the conversation. But is that where we are? That we can just float from the Lord's church to a denominational body and we don't see a difference? Is that where we are? Let me tell you what, it's later than we think in some places. And when I ask the question, is that where we are in some circles, that's exactly where we are. Now note if you would, Here's the command, verse 22. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray God that perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. The prerequisite laid down by the Apostle Peter, you need to repent. Jesus said, repent or perish. Repentance is a prerequisite to a child of God who has left the faith or who has become unfaithful to the body of Christ. Now, I said a minute ago, there are some who would say that Simon was never genuinely a child of God. That's what you'll hear denominational bodies sometimes teach because they have this idea, once you become a Christian, you can never lose your faith. Well, that's not the case. The Bible doesn't teach that anywhere. No, as a matter of fact, I can read about individuals who made shipwreck of their faith. But Simon was a believer, wasn't he? Simon had been baptized into Christ. He had been added to the body of Christ. Had he not been a New Testament Christian, what then would Peter have said? Oh, Peter would have said, repent and be baptized. That's the first law of pardon, isn't it? Second law of pardon Repentance and confession. God's first law of pardon applies to what we call the alien sinner. The second law of pardon applies to those who are in the body of Christ. Simon need, didn't need to be baptized again, but he did need to repent of his sins. Why? Because Peter said, your heart's not right in the sight of God. If your heart is not right in the sight of God, and you fail to amend those problems in your life, Step out into eternity. Will you be saved? Will you go to heaven? Listen to what the text says. Look at verse 23. Peter said, I see that you are poisoned by bitterness, or you are in the gall of bitterness. And that's really a metaphor for extreme wickedness. And he said, You're bound by iniquity. 
You know, sin imprisons people, doesn't it? And so in light of that, the text says that Simon answered. Notice compliance. He said, pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. Simon wanted those brethren to pray for him, didn't he? Now look, the key to getting back in favor with Almighty God, repentance, confession, and then what's the promise? Forgiveness? Do we not have assurance that we can be forgiven? We might leave the fold of faith. We might walk away from the Lord. But can we come home? Yes, we can. Well, how do I know that? Listen to what John said, 1 John chapter 1. Matter of fact, look at 1 John chapter 1 with me. I want you to see something with me. Look at 1 John chapter 1. You could probably quote these verses, but I want you to see them. In 1 John 1, verse 7, John said, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say, they have, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, He, that is God, is faithful and just to do what? To forgive us our sins. And then note, not only will God forgive us our sins, but He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look at that word all there. God will forgive all our sins, and He will cleanse all of our unrighteousness. All right, what then is the basis upon my cleansing? Let's just say that I leave the Lord, go back into the world like the prodigal did in Luke 15. I later come to myself, recognize the need to come home to God. I come home to God, repenting of my sins, confessing my faults. What then can I expect? Cleansing. But what is the basis of that cleansing? The blood of Jesus, isn't it? Go back and look at verse 7 again. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So if we're walking in the light, walking in harmony with the Word of God, the blood of Christ continually works in our lives. If we leave the Lord, come back home to the Lord, what then will put me in a right relationship with the Lord? The blood of Jesus. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things are right to you, that you may not sin. Now, that's the divine ideal that we rise above sin. But John, writing to Christians... He's saying, look, if you fall prey to sin, you stumble and fall. You need to understand that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus here pictured as our advocate. And the Lord Jesus Christ standing before the bar of heaven. And Jesus can plead my case before the Father. All right? What then what then is the basis upon which I can enjoy? What's the basis that I can enjoy forgiveness? It's His blood, isn't it? The blood of Christ is what makes the difference. 
Did Simon sin? Yes, he did. Was his heart not right in the sight of God? The answer again, yes. But the key is, was there hope? Sure. Simon responded favorably. There have been a lot of people in the body of Christ down through the years that have lost their way, spiritually speaking. They found their way back out into the world. Some have been in the world for years and years and years. But then like that prodigal, that light goes off. It might be the case that maybe somebody they're working with is a member of the body of Christ. Or they come in contact with a member of the body of Christ. They begin talking about their spiritual background, the fact that at one time they had been faithful to the Lord and they've walked away from the Lord. Over the course of that conversation, they begin to think about spiritual things, and then in time, they make their way back to the Lord. That's a wonderful story, wonderful thought. Simon made his way back, followed the divine prescription. So tonight, let me ask you, number one, are you a Christian? Have you done what Simon and those in Samaria did to become a child of God? Number two, are you faithful to the Lord? Are you living in harmony with His will, doing what He's commanded? If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. We're just simply saying what the Bible says. You need to believe Jesus to be the Son of God. To understand that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then, repent of all your sins. Acknowledge that you believe Jesus is the Christ. Be baptized into Christ so that you might enjoy His spiritual blessings. One of which is forgiveness. Be faithful. If you're here tonight and your, light, your life's not what it ought to be, we'd be happy to pray with you. We would be more than happy to go before the throne of God to pray on your behalf. God who is a loving God will abundantly pardon. So we want to encourage you tonight. We want to encourage you to make your life right with God. To live in such a way so that one day you can hear the Lord say to you, Well done, good and faithful servant. Won't you come as we stand and sing?